Duck fat fries changed my life. When I tasted those, I, it was a restaurant. They had fries, and then they put duck fat, some cheese on it. I said, I, I don't understand why this is so good. And what's worse is that um, one day, uh, uh, James, he actually uh, had to he had to go to Maine. And um, so he was literally in the middle of making a turducken. Ooh. He putting the turducken together, and it was sitting in, the fr- in his refrigerator. He's like, "Man, I need some help." And I'm like, "What's up? What's going on? I, I got you." He said, "I need you to take this and eat it." I said, "Such a huge responsibility! <laughs> Such a huge responsibility!" And then, how dare, so, how dare you ask me that, brother? Yeah, it's, it's like, oh yeah, I'll, yeah, I will, I will I'll gladly help you. I will gladly help you. So then, um. Beverly goes and gets it, and we and I'm like, she's like, how do you cook this thing? So we cooked it. Beverly took the fat off and made some gravy. Mm. I think that that right there was was that is how I knew that evolution was completely <laughs> false, completely false. No way in the world that this could just evolve. Yep. Into this deliciousness, yep. no way in the world. Nope. It had to be an intelligent designer, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and duck fat. And say, watch this. Yeah, had to, had to. No way in the world. <laughs> no way. Yeah, that was that was amazing. So yeah, I, I look forward to it. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick your brain and 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 pick some time. Some of the guys that I work with, they go uh duck hunting too, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, I need to I need to go along with that. So, got to get some different equipment. I don't have the right equipment right now. So, I'll take you. Yeah. I I would I would love to do that cuz that is Christian yeah. Christian got his apprentice license. Mm-hmm. He passed his test last night, so I bought him his apprentice license and his stamp, so we're going to hopefully I'm going to take him for his first duck hunt on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, that is that's outstanding. Yeah, he's he's ahead of me, and, it's he, and he's be, it's gonna be cold, but yeah, he'll get he'll get a lot of shots. Hopefully, he'll get his first bird on Monday. That's what I'm hopeful. No, oh. that's why I didn't want to shoot. I was like, I'm just gonna wait, yeah. bring Christian and let him let him be the first one, kill the first bird. That that is that is gonna be amazing. Yep, an amazing time. It's so. gonna be hard for me to 
if he's missing, uh, I might have to step in and say, "All right, son, you've had plenty of tries." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but no, they're they're going to be easy shots. I, I've seen him shoot before. I think yeah. he'll hit him. Yeah, I think he'll hit him. The way the blind is set up, it's a death trap. No, because you actually shoot down on them because oh. you're up so high in the water, and these birds fly. They fly in low, mm-hmm. so it's it's yeah, it's it's going to be a good for him in his first time. It's going to be good, easier. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited for him. Yeah. We're going to make some memories. Sounds good. Well, start us off with a word of prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for Christmas, for Christ who makes all of this possible. Thank you for sending your one and only son that we might be saved, that the penalty for, for our sin might be atoned for, that your wrath might be appeased, that heaven might be open to all, Father, who repent and believe. Thank you that that the incarnation is foundational to all of salvation. Without Christ taking on flesh, he could never bear our sin. And what a glorious truth that is. And so we pray now, Father, that you would be honored with all that's said and done, that your church would be strengthened and your gospel would be proclaimed. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome back to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. Merry Christmas, everybody. I am here with the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm loving Christmas. Oh, this is uh, the the most wonderful time of the year. It is a blessing. And uh, uh, sorry about the voice. I am recovering from something that my wife gave me. <laughs> it, had, it had to have been some type of cold or something, but love. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Spreading the love. Yeah, that, that, let's call it love. Yeah, yeah, for richer or for poorer. Yeah. In yeah. sickness and in health. In, in sickness. Yeah, yes, we sir. spread the love <laughs> yeah. in, on every level. Yeah, it's a virus. That's, that's what it, it is. It. Love is a virus. <laughs> you, one person infects the other. Yeah. But uh, but either way, um, this is Christmas time. Wonderful time of the year. I'm, I'm really enjoying it as well. Um, I think that the uh, standing out in the cold just singing songs yes. that glorify Christ and help us to reflect on the fact that uh, uh, God came down mm. and uh, condescended himself to save us mm. is the cold weather doesn't compare to the, the warmth in everyone's heart mm. that night. And, uh, you know, mostly for the people that were standing closest to uh, the, 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 the heaters, that's, that's, they were the warmest. Uh, but it was just fun to do that. And uh, we all survived that. Uh, nobody, uh, like my mother say, catch the death of cold. That's what she called it, the death of cold. <laughs> nobody caught the death of cold. Um, but it was great to just do that with uh, our, our brothers and sisters. And uh, that was great. Now. As we are now, uh, when you hear this, it'll be Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. the day before. uh, And, you know, with that being the case, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the sermon that you had uh, last week, Matt. um, But also uh, moving forward into uh, what has been uh, a year that has uh, been different. Mm -hmm. And and it seems that the year, uh, you know, of course, we had the year that everybody wanted to forget 2020. Yes. Uh, then 2021, where the year that we're trying to remember okay. everything, because 2020 went by so fast. And 2022 has been one of those years where it's like, 
you know, uh, you get you got your legs up under you, uh, but uh, now it's thing after thing has happened had happened this year, especially in the life of our church. Yep, that has just you know literally one after the other after the other been pointing us to the sovereignty of God, and it's just been, I think, for me the best year of my life so far. Praise God. So. I want to talk a little bit about those things and then, you know, Good. jump into it. So Good. here we go. Um, three words that and not the three words from the uh, uh, your, your after after you're there for <laughs> the, the three words you did before you're there for yes. uh, the royalty, the humanity and the deity. Yeah. Those three words stuck out to me yep. and it's been messing with me all week long. Yep. Because, um, one, uh, I think of, you know, the royalty, yep. but you separated that from his deity. Yep. Give Help me to understand why that is. Yeah, so um, as we were going into the introduction, I preached uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, that, that uh, section where Gabriel, or an angel, likely Gabriel, uh, gives Joseph the message that the child that is has been conceived already and is growing in Mary's womb is of the Holy Spirit, not of some adulterous, sinful mm-hmm. escapade that Mary had that Joseph obviously thought that this was an immoral actor, and that's why he was going to divorce her quietly. And so the angel is sent by God to give him that message, and it's a phenomenal passage that speaks to uh, the miraculous nature of the conception of Christ, the incarnation, the reality of, of all that Christmas is. <clears throat> and so in the introduction I was, I was talking about in chapter 1, Matthew really lines out, because the whole book of Matthew is really all about the person and work of Christ and showing Christ as the King of Israel. That's really kind of the, the primary theme that is driven by Matthew. He's writing primarily to Jews, mm-hmm. and he's wanting them to see that Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus isn't just uh, a proposed king. He is the divine king who is the God-man, the Messiah, long promised now has come. Mm-hmm. So this is what Matthew apologetically even is is defending and declaring to his people, the Jews. And in chapter 1, you have literally the royalty of Christ and the deity of Christ all fleshed out before you even get out of chapter one and, mm-hmm. and, and woven in there is the humanity. So what I, when I was explaining the context through those three words, the royalty really is the reality that Christ comes from a royal lineage, mm-hmm. meaning he comes from the line of David mm-hmm. because the Messiah was promised to come from the line of David. That's Second mm-hmm. Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, which is a royal covenant, meaning it's a kingly covenant, meaning the person that was promised to come from David's line would sit on David's throne forever, mm-hmm. right? This was the ultimate king of Israel. This was the Messiah. And so, um, so what Matthew does is show his lineage and how this uh, God-man, Jesus, is traced all the way back to David's line and beyond. Mm-hmm. And so he has that royal lineage, which then gives him right to claim the throne because he's of that line. Mm-hmm. Now, he does that in the first 17 verses, but then... 
in a in a very clear and shocking way, he turns from the royal humanity because if that's all he had and that's all he was, then he would be of the line of David, just like Joseph was in so mm-hmm. many ways. But what Matthew does is say, yeah, he's from the royal line, but he's beyond the line. He's from heaven. Mm-hmm. So he's from the royalty, but he's also from deity, i.e. he's, he's the God-man. Mm-hmm. And that's where verse 18 starts and takes us through the end of the chapter where the angel says, yeah, this, this child who is going to be born of Mary was not, is not your typical human being. Mm-hmm. He was not conceived by any man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So right. he is the God-man. And that's the, um, the amazing announcement that the angel gives. And so that's the royalty, the first 17 verses. The deity, the next uh, verses, 18 to 25. And then obviously interwoven through that is the humanity, mm-hmm. which obviously coming from the womb of Mary and then obviously from the line of David, you have that humanity. And those three those three terms really help pull the context together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that that part I understood, but it was the humanity part. Yes. Because it's like I get it. He was shown. It was shown how the royalty, like yes. from the royal line. Yes. And the human just, line, right? Because okay. every one of those persons we're is human. We're just, you know, typical normal human beings, mm-hmm. right? And he's coming from those lines, mm-hmm. and he's born of a woman, like right. a human being. Mm-hmm. So everything about that. Even the birth of Christ all speaks to his humanity, mm-hmm. right? Because he comes out of the birth canal. He was he grew for nine months in the in the womb of Mary, just like every human being. Like mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, you're, you're watching this, and from Joseph's perspective, that's what he thinks. Like this was a normal conception, just like you know God designed it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the man and the woman; they come together, babies made, boom. And the angel's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. This is a this is the God man. Mm-hmm. He is man, 100% man, at the same time, 100% God, because mm-hmm. this child has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, you are not his father. God, the father, is mm-hmm. his father. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you, you have that. So you have all three of them interwoven together, mm-hmm. right, in chapter one. And, and, uh, and again, then you're set up well to understand the person and work of Christ. Yeah. Because he's the Messiah coming from the royal line, meaning he's the answer to the Davidic promise in Second Samuel uh, 7. He's human, obviously, coming from the womb of Mary, but he's also divine, coming from uh, heaven itself mm. through Father God. And so it's like, yeah, he's unlike any other. And that's mm. what Matthew's showing. Mm-hmm. This is your Messiah, mm. unlike any that has ever been and unlike any that will ever be. That's the point. So here's a question, and maybe this is, maybe I'm um, thinking too deeply, or maybe uh, the question is answered. Why is it that, why is it that Christ had to come this way? Like, why is it that he just didn't appear one day, die for our sins? Why is it that he had to be a baby? Yeah. Like, what was what was the reason behind it? Well, a couple. There's a couple. There, it's a good question. And, actually. and, I, and I'm trying to make sure that I'm not being yep. disrespectful in the question. Nope. Nope. But it's more or less like a. It's a good question. Actually, yeah. it's a good question, and I and I think 
in some ways, the text begs the question. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think the text answers the question. Mm -hmm. Because right here within the text, Mm -hmm. this isn't the only answer, but right here within the text, just listen to the answer, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, she will bear a son, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So you ask, why did he have to be a baby? Well, okay, watch. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Mm. So, so part of the answer is this is the way it had to be because this is the way it was proclaimed would be. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, I mean, he's quoting there Isaiah 7. Mm-hmm. This was the promise, the sign mm-hmm. given by the prophet Isaiah, right? And, uh, and there, there, there the promise is given, and it's the promise that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to come as a baby, and he's going to be born of a virgin, which is an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a miracle without reservation. No one's born of a virgin. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a physiological uh, impossibility. You cannot, have, you cannot have something come out that hasn't first gone in, right? right? I mean, right. Re- realistically. It's science. Exactly. It's real science. Right, right. And so that's the point. That's the amazing sign. Mm-hmm. When the virgin gives birth, you will know mm-hmm. that this is the, the, the God-man, right? Mm-hmm. The Messiah has come. And so part of the answer is, yeah, this is, this is the only way it could be because this is what God had promise, which then goes back to the fact that this is what God had decreed, Mm. right? From the beginning, Mm -hmm. this was the plan from the beginning. This wasn't kind of just concocted. Hey, I got an idea. Let's add phase two to this plan of redemption and let's send you as a baby. That'll blow them away. No, that's not how that worked, Mm. right? The Bible's clear that Christ was chosen to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This Mm. was all planned out in the eternal, unchangeable, unstoppable decree of the Lord. So um, that that is part of it. So you've got you've got the prophecy which demanded it. Mm-hmm. You've got the plan of God which decreed it, and then you have you have the just the reality that there there was no other option. Mm-hmm. There was no other option in that Christ had to be a man. He had to be a man to bear our sins. Why? Why? Because he had to die. He had to be slain. This was the reality from Genesis chapter 3. We see that when sin comes, something has to die to atone for that sin. That was set from the beginning. The Redeemer would always have to die. That's what is repeated throughout the Day of Atonement, throughout every sacrifice, death, death. Sin brings death, and atonement demands death. So no matter which way you slice this, the, 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 the Savior is going to have to bear the sins of the people and die. Mm-hmm. And that's what the whole system kept pointing to. And so this was, this was it. This was, this was the only opportunity for him to be the lamb slain, which is what John the Baptist says when he comes. There's the, there he is, the lamb slain, mm-hmm. right? The lamb is going to take away the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone knew what that meant. Yeah. The lamb died. No lamb comes. That doesn't that doesn't die. Mm-hmm. The scapegoat got sent out and died in the wilderness, and obviously the sacrificial lamb died at the altar. And so both sides of the Day of the Atonement, there was death, and obviously to for 
for God to die, he's got to become human because God can't die, i.e. Christ can't die. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that reality as well. And then, the, obviously, the, um, the birth of Christ does something that I don't think is talked about enough. So this is, you know, number four part to your answer. Mm-hmm. And that is the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, is prophesied and fulfilled and proclaims. So you've got the prophecy, you've got the plan, you've got the problem of sin that is. Are you writing the sermon right now? Yeah, and then and then you've got the proclamation of his of his unique nature. There's no one like him. Yeah. Had he just shown up, like you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. Now, again, there, there wasn't an option. This was it. This was the plan. You can tell it all the way through the Old Testament. This is, I mean, it's just like a scarlet thread that yeah. weaves together through all the sacrifices. And so he comes by way of humanity. He, mm-hmm. he, he is our representative. So he walks our shoes, walks in our shoes, walks in our footsteps, so to speak, from birth to death. Mm-hmm. Think about it. If he's going to represent us, be the second Adam, yeah. who's going to be our federal head, who's going to stand before God as our representative, then to be that, he's got to be us, i.e. And he does that from from birth to death. Mm. He, I mean, from conception, literally from conception, right? He's conceived in the womb, meaning, meaning he, that baby grew nine months, which we see that when she goes and visits Elizabeth and all of those you know, it wasn't like he all of a sudden appeared at nine months in her. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I mean, the gestation period was the same mm-hmm. as everyone else. Like, he walked every aspect of humanity, which is what, obviously, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4 says. He, he had to be made. There it is again, Hebrews 2. He had to be made like us, that he might redeem us, that he might conquer sin, death, and the grade, grave. And so, but what the virgin birth does... It is establishes his unique nature where he is unlike anyone else. There's no one who's been who's conceived that way, no one who was born that way, no one who's lived that way. There's no one like him. And he is set apart from everyone and anyone that has ever been, ever will be. There will be many messiahs that come. We just read about that in Mark 13. Mm. Many will come, and no one, no one will come like he came. It's impossible. So that's what monogenes, the Greek term for um, one and only son, right? Mm-hmm. So when, it, you know, John three sixteen, for God sent his one and only son, it's the, it's the Greek term monogenes, and it's an interesting term. And at its core, what it means is unique, one of a kind. And the virgin birth establishes in undeniable terms, there's no one like him. Now, his whole life establishes that. No one preached like him, no one healed like him, no one prayed like him, no one lived like him. I mean, you can pick any aspect of his life, and he stands out as one of a kind. But when you come to that virgin birth, there's nothing. There's no one. There's nothing on the planet. And that's what the prophecy says. So it establishes his divinity, his deity, and his humanity together. He is the God-man. So, yeah, there's... Four answers to your question. Well, now I got more questions. There you go. <laughs> because a light bulb is a light bulb above my head right now. I love it. And when you said, when you talked about, and of course, you know, obviously the scripture talking about Jesus being the second Adam. Yes. Um, Adam was created in a different way than any other man as well. 
Yeah, well, he yeah, because he was created instantaneously right. from the dirt of the ground. Right. Yeah. So just kind of making the comparisons, like Adam was a very important person, but Jesus yep. was the better Adam. Yes. Because he never sinned. Yes. One, two, um, he was he's God. So yes. it's different from Adam, obviously. Absolutely. Adam was 100% human. Yep. God, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. Exactly. So it was like, oh, well, there you go. He was the better Adam. He was yes. the, 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 the atonement, basically. Yep. The other question that just popped in my head had to do more or less with the idea, uh, what you were talking about in John three sixteen. Yep. the idea, but the words that you used, Yep. the whole idea of it, him being a unique, yes. uh, a unique creation, only begotten. Yes. Now, uh, the word son, is it the same as in like son, like, mm-hmm. like child? Mm-hmm. Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. Because then I'm pushed to... Um, uh, the the scripture that the Jehovah's Witnesses like to use, like you know, he was the firstborn. Yes, you know, so yes. um, That's Colossians one. Right now, is yep. that uh, is that a different term? Yes, when it comes to begotten, is only begotten Son. Yes, versus us being the firstborn. Yes, or him being the firstborn. Yes. of uh, you know, the descendants to come. Is yes, that, that is. Yes, it is. It is, and and that one firstborn does not speak of firstborn in chronology of time. It speaks of firstborn in priority of position. Okay. So, and this this comes up multiple times in Scripture. So, um, David is is often referred to as the firstborn king of Israel. Hmm. But David was not the firstborn king by way of chronology. Right. Right. Because Saul. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what what is that what is that describing him? In position. in position of priority. Gotcha. gotcha. He was really the real king, mm-hmm. right? Established by God, even though there was a king before him. Mm-hmm. So so that that terminology that's used in Colossians one and, and Hebrews one that Jehovah's Witnesses might want to cherry pick out, it, it doesn't carry any weight because that terminology in context is speaking in Colossians one specifically, not of chronology of time, that Christ is the first created one. Mm-hmm. That's the way they will describe it. No, he he is the primary. It speaks of his priority of position. Mm-hmm. And when, when it comes to him being the God-man, him being the creator, him being the, the savior, there's no one like him. He is the firstborn above all, mm-hmm. just as David was in kingship. Mm. That's... Yeah, this is blowing my mind now because I'm like putting all the pieces together, and yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, so, and and speaking of that 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 lineage, uh, one of the things that you talked about, your first point was the context. You yes. know, uh, going through genealogy, genealogy, sorry, uh, and or the Genesis, which I thought was fascinating because you know when we think of Christ's genealogy or the the beginning of time, you know, coming from, uh, and it started, it said, verse one of Matthew, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. And I, I thought that this was very interesting. The son of David. Yes. And then the son of Abraham. Yes. So what you just said yes. kind of made sense to me. Yes. Because of course you would think that Abraham had some type of you know, leadership because obviously he was the one that came from the land of was us or Ur, yes. uh, and Ur. Ur, and he came from the land of Ur. God established the Israelites through Abraham, but David is mentioned first. 
So I thought that that was interesting, especially compared yeah. to what you just said. I'm like, yep. oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, and again, because he's showing, he's highlighting the fact that Christ is of the royal line. He is he is the promised Davidic king. That's that's Matthew's whole point. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Now they go into all the uh, the genealogies, but. I want to kind of get you kind of skipped over this because, yep. you know, you you really wanted to get into the meat uh, and potatoes. <laughs> this is this is more of the horse horse derbies of the of the text <laughs> that you preached. So I want to kind of get your perspective as well on the genealogy because you kind of yeah. skipped over pretty quickly when you were preaching. Yeah, that's what that's because I didn't have to then pronounce all the names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's sense. what pastors do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean the the blessing of the genealogy is is multifaceted. One, again, it highlights undeniably the lineage and it connects uh apologetically. Again, Matthew is writing to the Jews who were obviously adamantly denying the 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 unique nature of Christ, mm. denying that he was the fulfillment of the old testament promises and so matthew is writing apologetically not and i use that term not in he's not apologizing he's defending that's what that term means Mm -hmm. in a biblical theological standpoint he's defending the humanity deity royalty uh kingship of christ that's what he's doing so the so the the genealogy stands as a stark defense to the fact that Christ is the Messiah. First, he comes from the line of David, mm-hmm. right? Most people did not come from that line. He comes from that line. And mm-hmm. so each each of those individual names is tracing a bold, a bold highlighted line from Christ mm-hmm. to David. And then all the way, obviously, back to Abraham showing right, that this right. This is the one who was mm-hmm. promised mm-hmm. all the way all the way to the end. What's also interesting and and I didn't I didn't bring this up because that wasn't the point and we were I wasn't preaching this but um what I found a couple things. One, in this line you have um four specific women mentioned. Yeah. Yep, uh, that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. And so you have Tamar, verse 3, you have Rahab, verse 5, you then have Ruth, verse 5, and then you have uh, uh, the wife of Uriah, verse 6, right? They're all mentioned there. They would have all, for different reasons, they would have all been uh, outcasts Mm -hmm. in different ways, Mm -hmm. right? And yet they're all which is a genealogy carries, follows the line of the father, right? It's the male line. Right. And now you have these four women mm-hmm. that Matthew puts in there again, I think to display the unique nature of this line mm-hmm. and of Christ that he's interwoven with all of these. I mean, I mean, Rahab, that's a Canaanite. Yeah. She's a Canaanite. She's not even an Israelite. And she was a prostitute, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Ruth, She's a Moabite. Yeah, Moabites were were condemned by the Jews. Mm-hmm. They weren't even allowed. They weren't. I think for uh, I, I I can't remember the exact. I think it was ten generations, if I remember correctly, that the Moabites were forbidden from coming into the temple. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was just like some some astronomical number that they were so hated by the Jews. Wow. Because they were ruthless enemies, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously Tamar, she was a, she was an interesting woman and all that happened there. Which, yeah. which that's in Tamar? verse three. Okay, so that's yeah. not David's daughter, Tamar. No, no, that's, yeah, that's, uh, well, the issue with Judah. And uh, uh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, Basic, yeah. Basically, his uh, shall we say his daughter-in-law that he slept with, and oh. yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty yeah. And she was shrewd because yeah yeah, and and it's an interesting story. But, but the point is to have those ladies in that line shows the grace of God, shows mm-hmm. the redemption you know power of God, shows the mercy of God, all of which Christ is bringing. Mm. Right, which I I love that I love that, mm. and 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 then there's um, uh, verse sixteen in the in the genealogy, where it says, "And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary." Mm. That that jumps out that jumps out out at me because look at every other man, every other phrase. I mean, at, from the beginning, it's I, I didn't do the math, but you could do the math, and I guarantee it's going to be a lot. Father, 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 all the way through, everyone. And yeah. he was the father of this. He was the father of this. And even when they mention the, w- the, the women, it's yes. by yes. that person, yeah. by yeah. that person. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's father, 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 father. And then you get mm-hmm. down to 16. And Jacob, right, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, it doesn't say the father of Jesus. Yeah. Because, again, Matthew, and, now, and, and what is it? He's smart. He's segueing now into who is the father of Jesus? Because that that would be your natural response. Wait a minute. Joseph is the father of Jesus, right? Mm. No, Joseph was the husband of Mary. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you who the father of Jesus is. Boom, verse 18. Mm-hmm. You see how he's, you could just follow the progression. And the genealogy sets that up mm-hmm. like powerfully, right? In, mm-hmm. in, in, by design, by obviously by inspiration through the Holy Spirit. So uh, I find that, I find that, uh, uh, well worth uh, preaching and and studying and and uh, because um, Joseph technically is not the father yeah. of Jesus, which is which is um, interesting when you uh, when you when you study it out and see that played out. Well, you put it into modern terms, and he was the stepdad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, he was the father in the sense of I th- I said this on Sunday where he nurtured and cared for, provided, protected, mm-hmm. trained, taught, all of those things in the humanity of Christ and the upbringing of Christ, yes, mm-hmm. in that sense, without reservation. And as I pointed out on Sunday, he was a godly man, an amazing man, yeah. beyond what I think most people consider. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes Mary gets kind of the, the she gets the highlight, and, and there's right reasons to see her as the handmaiden of the Lord who was extremely blessed by God. But sometimes Joseph gets the shaft, mm-hmm. right? And yet when you read the text, especially this one, you're just like, this is a godly man. Yeah. And so I think I brought that up in the sermon. This is the most unlikely couple, mm-hmm. right? Joseph and Mary. And yet when you study them out, you're like, no, this is the likely couple. Mm-hmm. They were so godly. Yeah. She responded as a phenomenal, mature uh, f- god fear for such a young lady mm-hmm. and so did joseph mm-hmm. the way he handles mary and the way he's gonna handle mary with grace and dignity uh and yet at the same time not aligning himself with what he imagined was an immoral 
you know, person, and yet he's not crucifying her. He's not shaming her, putting mm-hmm. her to open shame, which is what was common in that day. I mean, this just screams of a godly man, of a gentle man. And then, and then when the angel tells him, right, and I, and I didn't bring this up as much, I mentioned it, but this is worth meditating on. So when the angel tells him how this is going to go, there's relief, no doubt, in his heart, but there's also angst. Why? Because he knows the reputation. He knows if he takes her, then it's going to go one or two ways. Well, they had an immoral relationship because they slept together because she's pregnant. Okay? So mm-hmm. now he's his reputation. So it's not just her that's going to look like the loose woman, but now he's going to look like the ungodly man who mm-hmm. now slept with his betrothed, mm-hmm. of which that wasn't supposed to happen until, until the ceremony, right? Mm-hmm. So you got that, he's thinking. But then even worse... You've got everybody looking at her. So it's like, oh, no, I didn't sleep with her. Oh, so she slept with somebody else and you're marrying her? So so no matter how they go, they're kind of not going to come out of this unscathed in their reputation, mm. right? And uh, so it's, and yet he, he doesn't question, unlike Zachariah, how is this going to happen, mm-hmm. right? So when you compare it, Joseph, the angel tells him in a dream and he gets up from the dream and what? He obeys. Mm. Doesn't question, doesn't hound, doesn't worry, doesn't fret. He just goes and does exactly what the Lord had told him. Names him Jesus, cares for him, marries, takes Mary to be his wife, doesn't sleep with her. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a lot there. You know, one thing that I noticed, too, is that both of them, Mary and Joseph, there was a humility that was there as well. Huge. Because fear of the Lord. How could you... Like you're literally bringing and up, you know, raising this the son of God. Yeah, hundred percent God. So yeah, I I could I could be proud of my son and the fact that like yeah, I want y'all to see the Messiah. You know, look at him. Go go ahead and do the thing that you did. You know, yeah. lift lift the, lift the wood up. You know, yeah. he, he it could have been like that, but it wasn't. It no. was just a humble journey throughout. And for me, it was like you know what, that is that is something to definitely you know, uh, aspire to be because that is that is a, a true like representation of a godly man just to have that humility that is like, you know what, this is a big responsibility. Yeah. And I'm going to, you know They uh, were they were no doubt though, as the text says, even Mary pondering these things in her heart all the way down to the end, you can see that and I pointed this out multiple times in Mark when when they're interacting with uh, the mother and and siblings are after Christ. Like mm-hmm. there's clearly and obviously when Christ is is uh, twelve and and uh, kind of his parents lose him and he's in the temple and they're like, what are you doing? You know. So there's glimpses where we get where we see that things obviously look a lot clearer for us going backwards, but for them going forwards, mm. there was a there was no doubt a lot of perplexity yeah where they were just like what does this mean mm-hmm. which which we understand that because there's i liken it to the way we view eschatology 
It's like, we understand a lot, but there's a lot where it's just like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. So they would have had that same perspective, especially Mary and Joseph, as they're watching it. Think about it. And he grows up just like any other child. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's nursing at her breast just like every other child. He's, Mm -hmm. he's, he's, uh, you know, learning to walk. Body train. I mean, everything, right? Without sin, but everything else, right? He's, and it's just like, they're looking at him going, well, he's not really anything special by way of you know he's not extra strong extra this he's just Mm -hmm. i mean as isaiah 53 says i mean there was nothing about him that drew your attention he was just like any man Mm -hmm. and so uh in his appearance so i'm i'm sure that that added a whole nother perplexity and they're like wait a minute this is the messiah you know and and i'm thinking about the 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 wedding yes that he was at you know and and he he looked at mary and said hey my time has it come yes you know it's like and she's like she's scratching her head again like like, wait wait a minute you're the messiah right right? so no doubt there was multiple conversations at the dinner table son can you fix this (laughs) and he's like woman i can't do that you know so you know they're just like what is this yeah you know and obviously that's how it how the the, how it unfolds throughout scripture, right? Mm. Same thing with Moses, same thing with Abraham. You just see it where it's often like, Lord, how's this going to work? You just trust me. Mm. Just trust me. I got it. You that's that's so good. Yeah. That's good. Well, uh, we have about 20 minutes, I'd say. Um, one thing that I definitely, before we get to the other, I want to talk about this because I felt myself I felt myself jumping out of my seat when you were saying this. I was like, "Oh, that is so good." When you were talking about the patrol the patrol yes. yes. of Mary and Joseph and then the marriage yeah later of Mary and Joseph and then you compared that to John 14. Yeah. I'm not even going to, I want you to go ahead and and re-explain it cuz that that just made my heart happy when yeah, I when so, I heard that. So the betrothal, which is which is not like our engagement. That's what everybody kind of will often say. Yeah, betrothal. It's like it's like our engagement. It, mm-hmm. it is it is nothing like our engagement, mm-hmm. right? Apart from this reality, about the only connection you can make between a Middle Eastern Israel betrothal and an American engagement is. They both have to do with marriage. That's mm. about the only point of connection, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the the cultural betrothal that's mentioned in Scripture was a legal binding commitment. Mm-hmm. It came with legal ramifications. Engagements don't come with any legal. Engagements are, you know, basically a promise it's, from it's it's basically a glorified human. text message. Yeah, that's basically what it's become today. I mean, mm-hmm. you can break it, you can send it, you can flippantly do it i mean it's there's there's nothing binding about it outside of your word and we all know today man's word means basically nothing mm-hmm. right it's it can be changed like the wind and so but the betrothal was not that way and what's interesting because so oftentimes the betrothal was orchestrated not by the couples who are going to be married but by the families mm. by the parents and now now that the binding part makes more sense because mm-hmm. you got a father who is rightfully over his daughter having the authority mm-hmm. and the watch care of his daughter. So he's caring for her. And he's like, yeah, we're not going to do this without some sort of commitment, mm-hmm. right? If Okay, if, if, if you want your son to marry my daughter, 
so what you got to put something up and that's mm-hmm. where you had the bride price and all kinds of stuff and there was a legal uh, a legal uh, ramification so if the betrothal was broken it could only be broken by a legitimate divorce mm-hmm. that's how binding it was mm-hmm. so in that culture once you were betrothed you were married mm. legally not physically mm-hmm. you didn't have the physical consummation mm-hmm. where the marriage was completely uh, uh, completely finalized, mm-hmm. where the two became one. Mm-hmm. So they didn't live together, they didn't sleep together, but they were married. I.e., they weren't. They they were they were off limits for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that's why Joseph is going to divorce her because that's the only way to break the betrothal is a legitimate certificate of divorce, mm-hmm. right? And that's how binding that is, which mm-hmm. is phenomenal, right? And so. So once the betrothal happens, they're, they're, they're together by way of legal, but not together by way of physical. Mm-hmm. That, so the Israelite or the cultural betrothal in the Middle Eastern sense is phase one of a two-phased marriage. Mm-hmm. So marriage for us is one phase. It's the ceremony. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, but for them, it was phase one is the betrothal. That's when the couples know, okay, we're going to be married. This is my husband. That's my wife. They would even refer to them mm-hmm. as that, right? But that's my betrothed wife. My betrothed, meaning I haven't slept with her. We're not living together. But what would happen then, the wife would now begin to prepare herself for the wedding. Mm-hmm. She would gather her party, get her outfits, do all the stuff that they need to do. She would even prepare herself physically for that. And then she would anticipate one day he's coming. He's coming back. I don't know exactly yet. I got to get ready. I got to mm-hmm. I got to build this up. The husband would go off and he would now prepare the house. He would build usually build a house or take a house that he had already built and add on to it mm-hmm. and get everything ready and get his life ready. Mm-hmm. And he would save up um, save up money and do all the things that he needed to do to bring her into this family. And so it was a time of preparation. So you had the betrothal, then you had this gap period known as the time of preparation. Mm -hmm. Then you had the consummation, Mm -hmm. which was the husband would return back. He would go back and get his bride, Mm -hmm. and he would often send a uh, groomsman in first ahead saying, the groom is coming, the groom is coming, make ready, get ready. And this this was a common practice. And so... And so then the bride would get ready and he would come in and that was that would then orchestrate into the ceremony, mm-hmm. right? The big party and the ceremony and then they would leave and go to the house and they were obviously, the marriage is consummated. And, so I'm going to ask you a question in the middle of this. Did they pick like a date or it was just yeah. groom was ready, ready to come. He's send somebody ahead and they just had to be ready. Yeah. A lot of times there wasn't, there wasn't as hard of a date set like that we, that we often think of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there no doubt was, but when Jesus uses these parables and he's using the same analogy and he uses them at the end time, speaks about this most often with the parable of the 10 virgins, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and he speaks of, of the wedding feast and all of that. It speaks of very much of, of, uh, of an anticipated time, but not a de- specific time known. Mm-hmm. Like the the groom is coming back, but we don't know when he's coming yet. Right. But he's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. So it Be- speaks of that. Before you get to the second part, I I just want to point out that 
our marriages, our weddings now are completely backwards. Yes. Because the groom is already there waiting. Yes. And then the bride comes in. Yes. That is completely backwards compared to what you were saying. Yeah. Because it would almost be like, hey, the, the bride is ready. Yeah. But the, now the groom is coming. Yes. So yeah. I just wanted to point that out. No, just, it's very different. Yeah. That's why I said there's there's polar opposites yeah. on so many levels. Mm-hmm. And so... um. So, so the the bride would get herself ready. She would be preparing herself, mm-hmm. and then the groom, you know, would come in and essentially bring her bring her back. And obviously, you've got a ceremony uh, interwoven into that, and and a, and obviously a party and 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 a celebration and the consummation that would happen. So, so what I what I was showing was how uh, how it's a picture of. Christ, who is the groom, and the church, which is the bride. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And how in John 14, mm-hmm. right, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, because he's leaving. John 14 is set in the context mm-hmm. of of the uh, night before he's going to die, and he's telling everybody, I'm leaving, I'm going to die, and where are you going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's, go to prepare a place. That, yeah, I'm going yeah. to prepare a place. Yeah. Well, who talks like that? The groom. Yeah. Now I'm leaving. That's so good. But I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. Now you get yourself ready because mm-hmm. I'm going to go get the house ready. Mm-hmm. And that's what he says in John 14, 6. Mm-hmm. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yeah. And if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that. Yeah. But I go and prepare a place. But don't worry because I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. That is so good. That's what the groom would do. Yeah. Because where I am, there you will be also. Mm-hmm. Well, we are his bride. He is our groom. Yep. Where has he gone? Right, exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Mm-hmm. And what and what are we doing, or what are we commanded to do in the meantime? We are commanded to prepare ourselves, mm-hmm. right, through sanctification and the ongoing pursuit of godliness mm-hmm. as, he, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us through the means of grace. We are preparing ourselves, but we're also called to what? Anticipate his return. Mm-hmm. Be alert, mm-hmm. unlike the five virgins, right? Right, who didn't didn't trim their wicks, weren't looking, right? So, but we're we're to be alert mm-hmm. because we know he's coming, and that's our great hope. We're anticipating, we're looking, we're getting ready, and then obviously what we see in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, mm-hmm. and you have that consummation, and yeah, it's a, there's so much to say about that. I just scratched the surface. Oh my goodness! But that is a glorious connection yeah. that often is missed. I- but don't miss it. That's that's what you should have. Yes, you could have inserted that yes, really quickly. I, I, when you when you were talking about it, what got me was how it was like this perfect picture. Yes, it was. It's it's so clear. It's 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 so clear that if you do miss it, you weren't paying attention. Yes, or you weren't listening. Like yeah. it's so clear how. And then you pulled John fourteen, and I was like. That is so beautiful. Like yes. I, it's a it's a clear picture, but the thing that I love about that as well is it puts us in the mindset of being ready, being watchful. Absolutely, you said that so many times in, yes. in chapter thirteen. Yes, you know of, of of Mark. It's like you know, be watchful, just be ready, get ready. Yes, and I'm like that is that is such which is a, what the bride was always to be. Yeah, which is the parable that he tells at the end of the Olivet discourse, where they where the five virgins weren't watchful and they yeah. missed out. Mm-hmm. Right, they missed the groom, and mm-hmm. so yeah, there's 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 a lot there. Yeah, I I, I love it. I, I was. 
you can you can go and explain more if you want to. I'm not going <laughs> to stop you, but that because that was that was just a great part of the sermon. I love that analogy. Yeah, I love it. That's and, why it came out. And one thing that I don't you, even think that was in my notes. Oh, really? Yeah, I was. I was when you brought it up. I was like, yeah, what did I say? Yeah, one thing that you did say uh, on on the podcast now is that you what what I love about it is you kind of explain the uh uh you know the the pre- preparation of the bride and the preparation of the groom but you also mentioned that the bride well now yes you know us the bride the yes. church we have a helper yes and that is very encouraging as well yes you know we have some we have the holy spirit to help us to be ready yeah that's what he's doing that. yeah he's preparing us yeah that's the whole point yeah. Yeah. And so we're in again when you take that when you take that two-phased marriage design in that culture. That's that's what we have mm-hmm. in our salvation, mm-hmm. right? We are legally bound to Christ mm-hmm. upon repentance and faith. Mm-hmm. We are his. We are betrothed. Mm-hmm. We are no one else's. He is ours and we are his, right? Yeah. That's how it works. And obviously in the salvific sense that can't be broken even by divorce, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're there. Yet we are that legally, positionally, right? Mm-hmm. This is our positional salvation. Mm-hmm. We are positionally in Christ. Yet I'm not positionally in the sense of practically with Christ mm-hmm. yet. We're separated. Yeah. We're not there yet. That's mm-hmm. 1 John. I think I probably brought up 1 John 3, mm-hmm. 1 to 3, right? We have this great hope. Mm-hmm. And he who has this great hope of seeing Christ, what? Purifies himself even mm-hmm. as he's pure. Because one day we will see him. We will see him face to face. We will see him as he is. And we have this hope in us now, even though we don't see him. Mm-hmm. It purifies us. It gets us ready. Mm-hmm. That's our anticipation. So... So we're in we're in that phase one preparation time, mm-hmm. but phase two's coming. Phase two's coming when the groom comes and takes us to be with him. That's the consummation of our salvation. Mm. That's when we'll be glorified. That's the culmination. That's the salvation yet to come. Mm-hmm. That that Paul talks about in Titus two. That Peter talks about in Titus one. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're betrothed. We're His. He's ours. We're waiting, and He's coming. That's where we're at. Mm. Well, Maranatha. (laughs) (laughs) Come and get us. Man, that sounded West Virginia right there. I I tried my hardest on that one to sound that way. You you did. Yeah. You did good. So, all right. Now, uh, I could could go on about the uh, that, but I want to kind of take the last few moments and talk a little bit about the year as it has transpired. Yeah. and you know, in 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 the life of our church, I mean, you know, what have you what have you seen? And I, I probably know the answer, but I want from a pastor's perspective to kind of kind of give us like what we have yeah. gone through this year, and yeah. you know, all those things. So, so thank you for asking that. I I, I had no no rec- recollection or understanding that you would ask that, but I'm glad you did. I'm kind of even lost track that it's the end of the year it is yeah yes yeah, be the, maybe the last podcast we do this is the last yeah, podcast. In 2022 which yep. just blows my mind because yep. I'm, I'm just not even there yet but mm-hmm. i'm glad you are um this how do i want to say this the grace of the lord has been lavished upon us in measures we could never imagine mm-hmm. at bellcroft mm-hmm. obviously in christ we have everything in christ we have 
all the the yes and amen of the promises of God are found. Like if all we have is Christ, then we are above all people most blessed. Mm-hmm. But what I'm referencing is the amazing grace of God that is even beyond that. Because we are in Christ and because we are his people, he is, we're watching him do everything that he has promised in that he's making us like Christ. Mm. He's already redeemed us. He's already saved us. He's already taken the penalty away. He's already gifted us the Holy Spirit. He's already uh, transformed us in, in the regeneration but he is changing us even more. Mm. He's sanctifying us. And that's that's what I'm watching that's blowing, it's blowing me away. I'm watching our church grow spiritually in ways that even I couldn't even imagine at seven years. Mm. It, it's, it's humbling. It's encouraging. It's scary. Um, it's, it's unexplainable. And I love that, mm-hmm. like because it's this way. I can't point to anything, and and I've had pastors ask me, and I'm just like, I, I have no idea. Like it should not be happening. Mm-hmm. If it were, if it were programmatic, if it were man centered, if it were leadership driven by way of some nuance technique or whatever, it's like if you take how I preach and you take how our church is structured and you take how our church functions, none of this should be happening. Mm. Like we break every, we break every rule, not on purpose. We're not rebels. We're Mm. we're not trying to be weird or we don't even think that way. Mm -hmm. But if you really evaluate us, we are an anomaly as it pertains to a church. I had another pastor here in town who I, who I have high respect for and appreciate and I ran into him the other day, and he's like, just as a joke. I mean, it was a joke, but he was shocked when I gave him my response. He's like, yeah, now, so I'm assuming you guys are like having church at camp. I mean, camp, you know, you you moved your church out of camp, right? And it was a joke because we do that in the summer, and people mm-hmm. can't believe it. And I said, oh, no, no, we're in our building, except for this week we're doing a whole Christmas service out at camp. And he's like, no, Really? And I said, yeah, we're going to do a whole Christmas carol, him sing with the fires going, bonfires and fire pits and all the kids. And it's we're going to sing a ton of songs, all Christmas songs. It's going to be great. And he just shook his head. He said, how do you guys do that? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it really is weird. I mean, I'll just be honest. Are you okay with me saying what I said? Oh, I'm totally fine with it because it's coming from you. Yeah. So uh, during that whole service, I walk up. You know, we haven't started yet. I walk up to Matt. I said, hey, Matt, I just want you to know black churches don't do this type of stuff. <laughs> we don't go out to a camp in the cold listen, and sing song. Listen, uh, white churches don't do it either. <laughs> so this is, but I'll tell you who does it, West Virginia church. And that's what, that's what, that's what I'm bringing. The culture. culture. I told you I'm bringing culture to the city. And yet, you saw how everybody, nobody wanted to leave. Yeah. No one we, wanted we, to leave. We were, they, 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 he actually turned the propane tanks off, uh, byrooms going around, turned them <laughs> off. And we were like, that's fine. We'll just stand with our backs to the wind. Yes, it's that's fine. It. Yeah. Nobody wanted to leave. We sang 18 Christmas songs. Was it that many? Yeah. And listen, let me tell you, Christmas song, Where Are You Out? 
Yeah. They stretch your range. They have six, seven different. Uh, we, uh, I was, you know, me and Bill were up there talking yes. to each other. Yeah. And, and Bill, he said, oh, this is the part they know. And then he starts directing yep. and stuff yep. like that. So it's like. He said, I didn't know they had that many verses in that song. I said, I didn't either. <laughs> of, I was like, I'm reading stuff that I've never read before. I've sung this song plenty of times. Didn't know that that verse was in there. It was edifying. It was encouraging. It was uh, enlightening, convicting. It was it was everything. And again, it's, a, it's, it's, it's our church because what our church has grown by the grace of God, through the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we have grown. We're not. We haven't attained, but we have grown, and we are growing to understand that the church is not a building. Mm. We love our building. We need a bigger building. Mm-hmm. We're thankful for a warm space. Mm-hmm. However, we're not tethered to it. Mm-hmm. We're tethered to Christ and to one another, mm-hmm. and that has become a strength of our church. Yeah. It it protected us, and it preserved us all through COVID. Mm-hmm. which was obviously a tumultuous time for everybody. But our church weathered that storm rather well compared to many others, not because our leadership was any better than anybody. It was because of the culture of our church was, one, we're going to do church one way or another because mm-hmm. we, we understand it's central and it's vital. But we're not tethered to doing it in our building if we have to do it outside, if we have to do it over there. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. as long as we're doing it. And we're together. Mm-hmm. That's it. Wherever the church, wherever the people are gathered under the ordinances, under the leadership, under the eldership, through the preaching of the word, that's the church. Mm-hmm. And our church has grown to see that. That's why we can mobilize at camp in a moment's notice. And the joy is no less there than it is here. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just a testimony to the work of grace and how our church is growing to understand and mature and see the temporal as just temporal. The, the comfort of which we all enjoy is fine, but you don't need it. Mm-hmm. We can sing praises to the Lord in the cold and in the heat and whatever, because the Lord is good, mm-hmm. and we worship him. We don't worship us. We worship him, and we don't worship him because of, of the comfort that he's brought to us, of which we're grateful. Mm-hmm. We worship him because of his character. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with how we feel. Yeah. And so, uh, again, that's a testimony of what this year has, 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 has really been again as we went out to camp and had the same thing. This has been an amazing year um, because this is the first year since I've been here that we've trained our own missionary. Mm-hmm. And that has been a two-year long um, um, blessing where this has been an unexpected, unplanned in the sense of it wasn't it was it wasn't something that we had worked on it came to us by another church who asked us to consider this we did it and it was a major investment for our church which turned out to be a major blessing for our church because mm. getty and Joanna are uh, worthy servants of christ who are tremendous lovers of god and lovers of god's people and they loved on us and we loved on them lavished on them yeah and our church answered the call. Obviously, I trained him, met with him every week, the elders. But what I was so blown away by was how the church, not just me, not just the elders, but the entire church wrapped their arms around this precious family mm-hmm. and loved on them, mm-hmm. 
cared for them, fed them, clothed them, uh, watched their children, and financially overwhelmed them. I mean, it was a full-on church, and that's what they needed. They not only needed that care, but they needed that model. Mm. Models in ministry are massive, mm. and, and Getty needed a model that he could take back. He, he, we partnered with Crow Christian and Beckley, which was awesome and a blessing, but that's part of what that pastor, when he called John, my good friend, Dr. Rinker, he called and said, he, Getty needs a church that's like you guys, that he can see and learn from so he can take that back. And, and that's what we were able to do. And he was able to glean and see. And, and I'm very excited about that, that we could be that. We're not a perfect church, but we are a church who's being purified. And, and that's what Good News Baptist Church in Lithuania is going to need that as well. Mm-hmm. And our en- entire church served as that model, not just me, not just the pulpit, not just the elders or the deacons, but all of us together, because mm-hmm. that's what that, that needs. And again, that is, a, that is a work of grace, because we're far from being a quote-unquote mature church, i.e. an arrived church. Obviously, we'll never be that. Mm-hmm. But the Lord is maturing us. He's making us more like Christ. So when I look back on this year, compare it to years ahead, what do I see? I see progressive sanctification in our Mm -hmm. church. I see ongoing maturity, that we are stronger than we were the year before, that we are more humble than we were the year before, that we are more striving for holiness and godliness, Mm -hmm. that people are repenting more than they did the year before. Like That's that's what I see as a pastor, and it blows me away and Mm -hmm. say, there's no one who can take credit for this. Mm. I can't take it. No elder can take it. Mm. No person can take it. It is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God because of the sovereign grace of God. That's it. Mm. There's, nothing, there's nothing else to it than that. And all we've done is try to be faithful, try to be faithful in exalting Christ, elevating His Word, keeping His Word central to everything, mm even down to the mundane, because mm-hmm. much of our ministry is mundane. I had uh, a young person tell me this week at a gathering we had at our house, not this week, this year, I mean, earlier this year, and he said, I've never been to a church like Belcroft. He says, as a matter of fact, the first couple of weeks, I was trying to figure out why are all these people here? You don't have any coffee. You don't have any donuts. <laughs> you don't have any smoke and lights and mirrors. Wow. You don't have anything. Yeah. And he said, but after a few weeks, I realized you guys have the word of God. Mm-hmm. Like it's everything in this church. Yeah. And he said, I've never been in a church that is so centrally focused and so enamored and, and tethered to the word of God. He said, it, he said, I'm growing mm-hmm. like I've never grown before. And that, that's from a young adult mm-hmm. that, you know, I hardly knew at that time. And so it was just like, yeah, praise the Lord. That's the way I think church should be. Mm-hmm. We're not here to compete with Disney. We're not here to, we're not a business. We're not here to attract people. We're here to exalt Christ. Mm -hmm. It's that simple and it's that clear. And we do that multiple ways and through how we preach, through how we sing, through how we serve, through how we live. Like that's it. That's it. Just the exaltation of Christ through our life. And that's what this year has been. And obviously the Lord has blessed us financially through the year in ways that has blown us away. The Lord has blessed us spiritually and uh, the stories of people repenting is just blows me away baptisms we did more baptisms this year than we did mm. years in the past it's just like i 
And if the schedule yeah. was a different way, you, it'd be even more because you, yes. gotta, you yeah, know, got to baptize some people. Four, four more in two weeks. Yeah. It's just like, you know, again, that's of the Lord. Yeah. More memberships. It's just, it just, there's no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. We're a church hidden away in a, in a old house development. And it's like, mm-hmm. we're not on a beaten path. Like, right. like did, it, it just, it makes no sense mm-hmm. apart from sovereign grace. Yeah, and me and Beverly, we talk about it all the time. It's like how blessed we are to have a a church body, a church family, you know, that is that functions the way it does. Mm. And when I say functions, I mean in the literal sense, the way that we work. It's not in a, a glorification of self. It's 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 literally like you're saying to glorify Christ. Mm-hmm. And it also is refreshing to see it, but also very relieving uh, of you kind of the burden of like a lot of times, you know, in our former church, even we just felt really alone. Yep. Like there was nobody that was, you know, on the same path as us. Nobody else had the same problems as us. Nobody was dealing with, you know, the same family issues or anything like that. But we are literally in a church where we literally can look at other people and and older people, younger people, yep. and have that relief of like, man, like we're all we're all in this. If we're all in thing. the same. T- we all got the same problems. Uh, yep. We all fighting with sin. Mm-hmm. We all got issues. Mm-hmm. We all got family problems. Mm-hmm. We all got we all got work problems. Mm-hmm. We all got health problems. Yep. We all got self problems Mm -hmm. like that's again we're not a perfect church Mm -hmm. we're a church filled with sinners Mm -hmm. right but sinners who have been saved by grace and who are being sanctified by grace Mm -hmm. and who are then thus growing in grace yeah that's it that's what we are and so i i'm just careful to think that somebody might be listening to this who doesn't know our church and think well man our church couldn't be that you you ought to be we're not we're not anything beyond the norm just a bunch of sinners saved by grace mm. who are still dealing with their sin, mm-hmm. but we're doing it together. Yeah, and we're and and the same exact thing. We're growing to realize, yeah, that, that person's no different to me. Mm-hmm. We're just fighting the sin. We're loving our spouses. We're raising our children, be it imperfectly, mm-hmm. but the Lord is perfecting us in the process. And we got tons of health issues this year. Mm. People in the hospital. People going through sickness. People having, you know, all kinds of issues. And I mean. But the Lord has been sovereign through all of that mm-hmm. and has raised people up. He's, he's strengthened people, grown their faith. It's, it's, it, it's the way life was meant to be in a fallen world as fallen people under the sovereign faithfulness of God. I uh, was talking to a, a sister church. She said, hey, it's good to see you. I said, better to be seen and not viewed. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Because, uh, you know, with with how the world works now, you know, you would almost expect that something just happens. I mean, yep. it, it is what it is. And yeah. it's God's sovereignty. God God allows it. So, hey, I'm just grateful to be alive, yep. grateful to be obviously a part of this church and to, you know, if anything, if this podcast doesn't do anything but encourage people to search the scripture, to ask more questions, to be more involved in even the life of our church. You know, find somebody in the church and just talk to them. Listen, 
one of the lines I like to quote from Charles Spurgeon, and there are many good ones, but this one I think is one of the best. The church is the most glorious place on the planet. Yeah, 100%. And it is. Yeah. And, and that is a truth that I don't think most people ever truly embrace. Mm-hmm. But when you embrace it, because it's true, as the scripture says, Christ died for the church. Mm-hmm. Christ said, I'm building my church. Christ says, I'm coming back for my church. Mm-hmm. The, church the church is central mm-hmm. to everything that the Lord is doing, to the evangelism of the lost, to the, to the salvation of the elect, to the sanctification of the chosen. I mean, the church is key, mm-hmm. but the church is also one of the uh, hinge points of joy in the life of the believer. Mm-hmm. And most people miss out on that because the church is not central to their life, mm-hmm. and therefore they miss it. Yeah. They miss it. They, they just add the church as an addendum. doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. But when you're following the line with Christ and the church becomes, becomes core mm. to everything that you are and do, that's by design because that's the, that's the context by which Christ, by which God makes us like Christ is mm-hmm. the context of the church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Charles Spurgeon nailed it. And I have grown to understand it in ways like I've never understood it before. Mm-hmm. It is, for my own life, it is the most important treasure that's given to me on this earth is his word, his gospel, his church. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing more important mm-hmm. to me than that. Obviously, my family, my kids, but my church. Mm-hmm. Right, my my wife is part of my church. Right, mm-hmm. I'm part of her church. We're part of the church, mm-hmm. and at least half of my children are part of that. And I'm praying for the other half mm-hmm. because that's it. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. And so, uh, but yeah, no, I just pray all of our listeners would, uh, would 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 come to embrace that and see that. And and I get it. I get it. Some are listening. I believe most people have never been part of a good church because mm-hmm. there's not that many, and that breaks my heart. That's why I do what I do. That's what's mm-hmm. driven me to this. I never wanted to be a pastor, ever. Mm-hmm. But when I saw the state of the church, there was within my heart a compulsion and a conviction that drove me 20 years later to this mm-hmm. because I even then didn't know what I know now, but even then realized how precious the church is to Christ, and the church was in a horrible state and still is on many levels by way of temporal Americanized church. And, but the Lord is building his church around the globe and we're watching it and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And now we just sent a man to Lithuania who's Mm going to, by God's grace, be a servant of Christ to put some boards and some nails and some two by fours and some drywall as God builds his church in Lithuania. I, I think in West Virginia, y'all call them two befores. Yeah, that's yeah, it. two befores. Yeah, yeah. I so, like it. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm. I need to ask you to do the. I'm actually to present the gospel, but here's how I want you to kind of give. I want you to give it a Christmassy feeling to it. Okay. You know, with with the 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 anticipation of uh, the baby being born in a in a in a manger in Bethlehem. Yeah. So uh, Christmas is all about the gospel, right? Because the gospel begins and ends with Christ, right? And Christmas is all about Christ coming. And the reality of the gospel is that Christ comes because we're sinners. 
he comes as the Savior. That's what Matthew one twenty one says. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so the need for a Savior is in large part what drives Christmas. He comes to earth not, not simply to be exalted, but to be crucified. So he comes as the baby in a manger to die. That's the whole point of Christmas. Death is looming as the baby cries. That's the whole point. He is coming. He had to be made man so that he could die. Obviously, he lived the perfect life, fulfilled the law so that all righteousness could be rightfully given to us who believe. So, yeah, the gospel through the lens of Christmas is huge because the baby born in a manger will be the adult male nailed to a cross. And that's the point. But why? That's the question. Why? Why the baby? Why, why all of it? Because we're sinners and because our sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59. Our sin demands judgment. The sinner must be judged, Ezekiel 18, 20. The reality that um, Ecclesiastes 7, 20 says, there's not a righteous man upon the earth that sinneth not and doeth good, right? I mean, we're all sinners in Romans three twenty three. All of us have sinned, meaning all of us have turned away from God to self, to live for ourselves. And the wages of sin is death, the penalty, right? That's the problem. That's the issue. That's why Christ comes at Christmas. He comes in in the form of this baby that he might then grow up, fulfill the law, and ultimately fulfill the eternal plan of God to be the lamb slain, to die. And that death serves as the atoning sacrifice for our sin that appeases the wrath of God, that fulfills the requirement of God that without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness of sin. So Christ sheds his blood, which is a, a summary for death sacrificial death. He stands in the place of sinners. He's the substitute, just like the lamb. He comes to stand in their place to take on their sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might then become the righteousness of God. And that's the amazing truth of Christmas, that he comes as the babe to be the substitute for sinners to be the substitutionary sacrifice for the salvation of those who will believe. And that's what he does. And that's the gospel. The gospel is you need Christ to be your substitute. No one else can do it. You need, you need him to stand in your place because the wrath of God abides on you. But the wrath of God need not come after you. The wrath of God can, has already gone to Christ. And so Christ can take the wrath of God for you. He has, and he will on the cross, and that's why he came, so that you will not be under wrath, but be under grace. And so the call of the gospel is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Well, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says, repent and believe the gospel. That's how you deny yourself. You turn away from yourself. That's repentance. You see your sin, and you turn away from that, and you see Christ and all his beauty. Christ is the answer. Christ is the hope. He is the lamb slain. He's the one that came from heaven above to earth below that we might then one day go to heaven above. And so you turn away from your selfishness, your pride, your arrogance, your rebellion, your wickedness, your dreams, your ploys, your manipulation, all of it. You leave it all behind and you run to Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the name Acts 4.12 says, by which everyone 
who will call upon that name will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. So you run to Christ. He is our only hope. He is our only answer. And you repent and turning away from self, and you believe in running to Christ. That is our response, and that is the gospel. And he died on the cross that our sins might be taken away, and he was raised from the grave, proving that he was who he claimed to be, that God accepted the atonement on our behalf, and that we too then will one day raise from the from the grave. That's the hope of the gospel. That's why we repent of ourselves and we trust in Christ. So the baby comes to be born that he might die, but then the baby is raised as the adult male, right? As he lived the life, he is raised and he conquers sin, death, and the grave. And he says, all who repent and believe in me, they too will conquer sin, death, and the grave and be raised. And that's the hope of the gospel. And that's what Christmas points us to. Is there anybody here that can tell us what Christmas is all about? <laughs> there it is. That is exactly what Christmas is all about. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you all listening and uh, this whole year. Uh, so uh, to everybody that is listening, Merry Christmas. Merry, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. May yeah. the Lord bless you and may his face shine upon you. And may the blessings of the Lord continue both this year and in the years to come as you seek the face of God this day and every day for his glory alone. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the truth talks podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.
The God. 